0: Hello, and welcome to the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast. I am your host, Jim Freund. In this episode, listen to In the Nest Between the Mountain Tree, Your Sister's Dance, written by Lowry Paletti and narrated by Stefan Rudnecki, with direction by Alison Bell Buse. But first, a word from our sponsors.
1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
0: And now, it's time to buckle up. We're going to light speed.
1: In the Nest Beneath the Mountain Tree, Your Sisters Dance, by Laurie Poletti. Dr. Nearwater Lyra only agreed to study Mr. Jurat because he is supposed to be dead. Tomorrow they will meet in person for the first time. But today Lyra wastes time by staring at a cellophane bag full of girat's vomit. Thackeran braconids store libraries of generational memories in their nests, and human vomit is the closest analog to the woody pulp and fermented fruit braconids churn in their crops. Creating and reading these memories is a skill they have learned from the wasps. Lyra only needs one memory from Girat the moment his bracketed companion died. The last message he received from Girat is a video of him puking into a biohazard bag. Uh, The package arrived this morning. It sits in a briefly tidied oasis amongst the scattered mess of Lyra's lab bench. When Braconids make their memory-full nests, their carapaces shine like stained glass with each peristaltic motion. Brood comb and queen cups become sculptures beneath the delicate movements of their pedipalps. Tapping on his cell, Lyra opens his messages. The video's right there. Girard holds back his dark hair wipes his lips with the back of a scarred hand, and, looking into the camera, winks. Clenched in his pink-fleshed fist, the crinkling plastic is almost obscene. Lyra stares at the shape Girat's lips make in the thumbnail, then replies, you could have just told me it was in the mail. You're welcome. Attached to this, is a selfie of Jurat flipping him off. Lyra's brackenet companion chatters from his lounging pallet, a querying sound. "'It's professional correspondence, Riverspine,' Lyra says. "'He's trying to think of something clever to text back.' Repeated, the same chatter. Riverspine thinks he's lying. "'Well, I'm being professional,' Lyra argues. "'It should come as no surprise.' Riverspine enjoys reading Jurat's texts, too. But Lyra places his phone to the side and meets Riverspine's gaze. The brackened wasp's head is haloed by the dead drones pinned to the wall behind him. When standing, Riverspine is six feet at his tallest notum, from which springs his first pair of wings. But he seems so small when he reclines, Unlike the bulky drones, his elegant thorax ends at a tapered head, better suited for navigating between trees. When they fly, Lyra fits like a puzzle piece in the curve of River Spine's neck. Through their psychic link, Lyra senses River Spine's unease. Memory materials serve a specific purpose. Pupi chew out of their cups, brimming with the memories of their sisters. Like most Nest Affairs, this is entirely communal and sacredly public. The exchange of memory materials as individuals is as intimate as it is taboo. He and Riverspine exchanged their own on their fifth anniversary. But they barely know this mister Thurvald Girat. Lero would be lying if he said it didn't make him nervous, too— Girat was a soldier from a feral nest located in the wilderness far out of the reaches of the province. Just a few months ago, he was recovered from the aftermath of a border skirmish. When a brackened wasp dies, its human symbiote dies. Yet Girat bears the scar of a symbiote and no wasp companion. Of course, Girat told his captors, the bug's dead. Lyra taps on the acrylic countertop. The bug's dead. Each tap makes his glassware rattle. The bug's dead. What if Girat had never uttered those words? The Queen's Council had tried on multiple occasions to pull Lyra away from his retirement in the Eomir forests before this, but it was Girat who brought him here. If he can figure out how Girat survived, he may be able to save other human symbiotes, himself included. So he cleans the quartz glass slides he needs to prepare samples for memory decoding and sees himself reflected in each one. All of his previous tests have been inconclusive. Before anything else, he needs to prove that Girat was truly once bonded to a brackenid. He hoped the drones, recovered from the same battlefield, would yield a genetic match to Jurat, but they weren't so lucky. Sure, Jurat has a recombinant genome, but so do the human children of symbiotes. Lyra sinks into his chair. Mixing together the correct solvent is tedious work and a stark reminder of one of the many reasons he retired. The silence of the lab is counterpointed by Riverspine typing away on his keyboard. His movements are slow and erratic, and that alone fills Lyra with a creeping dread. "'What are you working on?' Lyra asks. Riverspine's answer is prefaced by an amber-warm smell. Aggregation pheromone, uh, used to call foragers together in the field— but more accurately translated here as, I would love for you to be closer to me. With the click of a button, Riverspine enables text-to-speech, and a tinny voice reads the beginning of an essay about Braconidae collectivist influences on post-contemporary Impressionism. Fascinating, Lyra says. He allows himself a smile. Is this the one you're writing for the post? Riverspine blinks in affirmation. Humming, he starts writing again, but a tremor strikes his foreleg. His keyboard falls to the floor with a chest-piercing clatter. Startled, Riverspine jumps upright, back arched. His hackled chitin scratches the ceiling. Oh! Lyra steps away from his desk to pick it up. Oh, love, it's fine, it's fine. See? He props the keyboard back up but River Spine doesn't touch it. The tremors are getting worse, and they both know it. When River Spine sits again, his aortae are pumping so quickly that his thorax heaves. Lyra lingers for a moment, but River Spine says nothing at all. Resigned, Lyra swirls a gram of Jurat's memory materials in the solvent, then places a few drops on each of the slides. He reminds himself... He is going to crawl inside of Jurat's brain. He thinks of Jurat's lips. He's here for a reason. He will claw his way back to the living. He will force his fingers into that scowling mouth. Before he retired, Lira designed a machine to decode memory materials so one doesn't have to depend on a bracketed human pair. There are so few symbiote academics. In fact, Lyra and Riverspine are unique at the Queen's University. But he eyes the rest of the bag, then spoons out another gram and places it on his tongue. It's quicker this way. Girard's memory is a flash of ten seconds. A drone stylet, 25 centimeters across at its widest point, Enters his abdomen. Blue ivies hide him and the drone from the rest of the jungle. The silt beneath them is black, the dirt on their bodies the color of ash, the blood gem like around his wound. The drone in the memory is excited, nervous, fumbling. The drone in the memory has killed before, and the blood smell makes his hemolymph pump faster. He enters too deep, past the cutaneous fat, and into the muscle. Through the new and threadbare link between drone and soldier, burning anger prefaces the familiar smell of a dying mind. Lyra takes a picture of the view outside of the passenger side window. The province's capital city, Diabrasula, sits in the distance. Her towers are wasp-made, sculpted from Eomir bark, and woven into the clouds like a network of blood vessels. With each second she becomes fainter and fainter. He sends the photo to Girat, captioned, We're an hour out. At Lyra's insistence, the Queen's University graciously agreed to the following terms. Girat would be transported to the Lyra estate for further examination, He would have complete privacy while boarded there, and he would be released at the conclusion of the study. "'You're in a car?' Gerard asks. "'I thought you were the flying type.' Riverspine sits on the roof of their vehicle, tapping a melody against the steel. "'He hasn't flown in weeks.' Lyra hums along. All of Riverspine's brood sing the same song, because they emerge from the same nest-builder's pulp. Not all symbiotes fall in love with their companions. Brackonid primate dyads are co-workers, domestic partners, brothers-at-arms. The province's trivia pact, which delineates the correct procedures for symbiosis, gives brackenids the right to select their symbiote. New volunteers live in the queen's nest for weeks before the selections, which allows these relationships to bud far before the stylet goes in. It's so much easier for humans, Lyra thinks, because they are trained to love with their whole being. There is no collective, there is no queen. He continues to love his identical twin, Ayuna, long after her untimely death. He continues to love the mountainous vistas of the Eomir tree, although he is now hundreds of kilometers from the nearest one. He will continue to love Riverspine. He will return to them all. Now he looks into the blaring white of his cell phone, where Jurat sent a blurry picture of the Liran Gardens with a caption, ARRIVED as if he were staring down the inky blackness of a well full of love. Lyra doesn't text back, but his cell pings again, this time with a photo of the guest room and a waving hand. Trellised walls give way to arched windows, gauzy curtains, and clouds floating past the green glass. The manor sits on stilts, a century of seasonal floods have yet to touch it. During the months of organizing this trip, shipping Girat from the city, uh, getting the paperwork for River Spine to take a sabbatical, keeping Queen Lejatchka's chosen, the human symbiote, Ms. Idar Raza, up to date on their laboratory findings, he and Girat spoke every day. "'You rich... Girat asks. Lyra types, I am entirely obsessed with you. You are a crime against nature. You are everything I need to be. Then he deletes it and writes, My father's money. I don't live here. Lyra arrives in the morning and finds Girat sitting on a bed of imported velvet. Even after being washed, Ejirat looks like he was just pulled out of the jungle. His long black hair is uncombed. His heavy brow shadows his eyes. Pale skin like his is unusual in this province. A doctor near water, Lyra, Girard says, patting the space beside himself. The one and only. Sit. Lyra sits automatically. The heavy fabric of his robes fold in a puddle beneath him. Uh, "'Do you mind if I record this, Mr. Girard?' Lira asks. "'Dew-touched from the bath, Girard wears trousers and a spider-silk robe. "'There are so many more scars than the symbiosis mark. "'Each one cuts a silver line through his hair. "'The way he lounges tells Lira that he is already forgotten. "'A mere six months ago, he was imprisoned for killing provincial soldiers.' The province faces threats at both her flanks, from the human settlements opposed to symbiosis and from the feral nests of runaway men and their drones bristling with surgically installed bioweapons. You're still calling me that? Girard lifts his lip. One of his incisors is chipped. How long have we known each other? Lyra wonders if six months is a long time to a soldier. Mr. Girard, don't! Lyra clears his throat, discomforted by how easily he has thus far yielded to Girard's orders. He thinks that maybe he shouldn't be sitting. I am here under orders of the queen and her chosen, Mr. Girard, he says. I will refer to you properly. Say that again. As Girard leans closer, he braces his hand on Lyra's thigh. The touch is overfull with a nauseous heat. Tell me to get on the floor and beg while you're at it. I'm sorry. Did you miss it? Girard asks. Being so much more important than a little farmer. Is that why you're in full scholar's attire? You look ridiculous. I think I don't mind being recorded, Girard answers finally. I think you will, though. Lyra lets out a breath, lips pursed. When a beat follows without interruption, he asks, and why is that? Gerard weaves his fingers through Lyra's hair and grabs a fistful. When he tilts Lyra's head back, he exhales slowly, downcast eyes sliding across the exposed skin. Lyra thinks Gerard is going to kiss him, But instead, he presses the flat of his tongue to his neck. Lyra has dinner brought to the guest bedroom. Through the door, he asks the maid to leave her cart there. "'Riverspine asked me to give you this.' She slips a sealed note beneath the door. Inside, the letter reads, "'Stop making me feel so dizzy.' "'Riverspine's snide affirmation rings in Lyra's head. "'Tell him to meet me in the garden in about two hours,' "'Lyra says through the door. "'Before they arrived, he arranged a tour of the library "'and art collection for Riverspine. "'For your next critique,' he said when he told Riverspine about it, "'there are some rare pieces here, "'and I can only hope they will hold up to your discerning eye.' But he knew it wouldn't mean a single thing to River Spine if he didn't get a chance to tell Lyra about it. Near water? Girard asks. Hmm? Lyra waits. The mate's footsteps disappear down the hall. Can you blush like that more often? It's hot when you're pathetic. Lyra hides behind a forced laugh. My companion doesn't like you. She's right. Girard snorts. Jealous lover? It isn't like that. Riverspine hardly knows what jealousy means, but he can and will judge Lyra's taste in bed partners. Lyra's lucky, Riverspine has little appreciation for scientific integrity, but perhaps this is a trait they both share. Lyra brings the platter inside. Sprawled on the bed, Girard has the muscled body of a panther, despite having seen it held it, dug his teeth into it. Elira is newly struck by its lethal practicality. Apparently Girat's guards confiscated three knives from him, each one crafted from plastic cutlery and glass before he arrived on the property. Girat tears a piece of roast bird from the cart and swallows without chewing. He stares Lyra down as he bites fat out from beneath his nails, as oil drips down his bare arm. I could get used to this, he says. Don't. Lyra pulls a chair over, and sitting plugs a microphone into his cell. It was sitting in a suitcase for so long that the case reeks of eomir flesh. The fruit, because it is rich with selenocysteine, is necessary for the creation of memory materials— Uh, so Lyra keeps a few vials of pulp handy. Oh, Gerard moans, put that thing away. I thought you didn't mind. I don't want to work. Not gently, Gerard prods the circular scar on Lyra's abdomen. Keloids run in Lyra's family, uh, so the scar is bulbous and black. In provincial cities, symbioses are formed in sterile sweets— Feral nests have no such facilities, yet he and Girat share the same scar. Girat says, Never known a scientist with a parasite. From his new favorite spot in the garden, River Spine hisses. I know, Lyra thinks. I'm a forager with a parasite. Think of it like that. Lyra tries to sell his nonchalance with a shrug. He doesn't think Girard buys it, but it should be easier now that he isn't dressed up. The cotton gown he found in the closet is more similar to the tunics he wears out on the farms. Maybe Girard can't get past the scholar's marks tattooed beneath Lyra's eyes. One, the university's sigil, the other, the queen's. He usually covers them with dark brown foundation. "'Is she here?' "'Stretching hot, Girard taps Lyra's forehead. "'Can she hear me?' "'Unlike Lyra, "'he didn't shower after, "'so a faint musk follows his hands, "'and a shimmer of sweat "'decorates his skin. "'He only knows what I'm feeling,' "'Lyra says. "'Sometimes he catches thoughts. "'He?' "'This generation of Brackenids "'is so different.' Lyra breathes. What is sex to a young brackenid but the difference between fighting and foraging? Riverspine loves reading earth literature. He loves art. He writes. He likes the aesthetics of men. Foragers often referred to each other as sisters in their writing, but brackenids like Riverspine were sister brothers instead. Oh, the day that Lyra learned this, how they cut English into little bits to suit their new selves, as he once had when he'd come out. The bug has a name, too, Girard deadpans. You're stalling, shuffling through his suitcase. Lyra hands a folder to Girard. Take a look at this. Girard holds the enclosed images an arm's length away. Their CT scans of a braconid worker, as evidenced by the vestigial ovaries in the abdomen. This planet's braconids, Macroplitis equatus, share a common ancestor with terrestrial wasps of the same family. Their anatomy is startlingly identical, despite the fact that Thakaran braconids live on an oxygen-rich tropical planet capable of sustaining the circulatory system of a horse-sized insect. Notice the dark area on the ventral surface, Lyra says. In a healthy braconid, we would see undamaged ganglia there. Girat asks, ganglia? Nerves. Ah! Girat's face lights up with the revelation. Skitters! This ailment is highly publicized even outside of the province. Lyra knows it as idiopathic ganglionic atrophy. The label at the bottom of the scans lists the species, the hydrocarbon signature, the sex, and the name river spine in quotations at the very end. Quotations, like a dog's name on a veterinary file. Lyra's fingers tingle when he points out each organ, each inkblot of nervous damage. He's memorized it by now. If someone presented him with Riverspine's carapace, hacked open like an overripe mango, he would be able to recognize him by the layout of his aorti alone. You're looking at a dying brachinid, Lyra says. Girat drums his fingers against the mattress. Even accounting for improved screening procedures, the number of affected foragers is rising each year. If our symbiotes could do what you did, Girat, we could save quite a few lives. I didn't expect you to have such a good poker face, Girat says. Excuse me? If you were here for this little study of yours, Girat tosses the folder to the side, you wouldn't have let me finger the back of your throat. So... "'What are you doing here?' Riverspine plods Lyra with the smell of an inquiry pheromone. "'Why is your heart beating so quickly?' comes the implied question. "'Let me level with you,' Lyra says. "'You don't care about the queen's hive. "'I don't care that you don't care. "'Memorize that image. "'That's why I'm here.' "'This explanation is safe. "'He won't admit.' that when scrolling through the database he kept coming back to this one, the dark line crawling along River Spine's belly. A black snake visits Lyra's dreams each night, but it doesn't strike. It curls up in the underbrush and waits. Lyra walks to the window. Dotted with the iridescent chitin of dragonfly swarms, red trees sprawl before the manor. Why should he send a report to Ms. Raza, condense his findings so she can send it off to her other scientists, and wait years for the preliminary studies to make it to the Eomir farms? Why should he, when he could get the information straight from the source? I have something to give you, Lyra says. In return, you'll give me the whole story. Do you really want to live without him? I heard you provincial symbiotes are loyal beyond death. I heard once a woman slit her throat when she found her companion maimed on the battlefield. She knew she was going to die anyway, uh, but she wanted to go first. Lyra opens the window. The breeze, laden with rain, arches its back against his cheek. On the horizon... The rivers swell between the feet of the Ilmirs, whose roots are painted a bloodless sky purple by the distance. Here he doesn't have to meet Jurat's black-eyed, white-rimmed gaze. Jurat tuts. For shame, doctor. He wants me to live, too. He's spoken to Riverspine during those long nights when neither could sleep, when Lyra lay curled up in the crux of Spine's body and listened to the oceanic tides of his hemolymph. It seems this is all Lyra knows how to do. After Ayuna died, he kept on living. He can't believe that for a moment he thought it would be different this time. When Spine dies, Lyra will find no reprieve. He is cursed by Jurat and haunted by him, too, to continue on and on. "'So what's my gift?' Girat asks. Lyra retrieves an ornate box from his luggage. Placing it beside Girard's belly, he reveals its contents. Cubes of nest material, dried and nestled in silk. "'I'm assuming that your companion died before he could give you something like this,' Lyra says." To make drones, the queen must lay eggs in her supplicants, whose protein-rich, virally weakened bodies signal to the larvae that they should develop male characteristics instead of the default female. This allows the queen to control the drone-worker ratio, but it also means drones aren't fed nest memories. Instead, they're given curated memory materials from their cohort, as they graduate to their last instar. Girard pinches a cube between his fingers. Wasp-made cellulose is so much nicer than a human's memory materials. In these, Lyra says, you will find the following. The birth of my sister's daughter and the emergence of the rain-time pupae we buried a year ago, the thundering elation of the queen's mark detected at last, and the smell of my dog's head. Lastly, a worker's first taste of Eomir fruit, fed to her from the palps of her dearest friend, while in the nest beneath the mountain tree her sisters dance to a song they've known since they hatched. Girard laughs. (laughs) You really think I'm that sentimental? With a frown, Lyra takes out another box, a padlocked one. In here, he says... You will find the sweet taste of a supplicant's flesh, the ejaculatory rush of pumping poison into a man, the ecstasy of detecting and killing an invading drone, the strange nauseous invasion of a patient who woke up in the middle of a surgery, and the moment I tried to kill myself when my sister died. Lyra clears his throat. These ones are harder to source, so they're shorter. He tosses the key to Jurat, who finally sits up straight. Box in lap, Jurat examines its contents. When he licks a cube, his body tenses and relaxes. Then he gives a long, shuddering sigh. ''Did you think I was lying?'' Lyra asks. Uh, ''I don't trust anyone.'' Jurat clicks his tongue against the roof of his mouth. Uh, ''Don't take it personally.'' Girard places the cube back into the palm of Lyra's hand. It was a first death, he says, hyena-faced. A first death, Lyra echoes. Humans are not M. equites' first host species. Braconids need primate riders with delicate hands and clever tools to find the fruits hidden in the deep cracks of the Eomir's bark. But the Erythva, a planet-native species of Mycone apes spontaneously died off. Only a few erythvite villages remain. When the first research team landed, this extinction was already well underway. Three-fourths of the wasps' ancestral nesting grounds were lost due to the selenocysteine shortage. Entire colonies wiped out via malnutrition. The researchers healthy, strong, fat, with a wealth of exotic food, had no clue that the first wasps they'd meet would be starving. The first symbiote, taken without permission, succumbed to his stylet wounds. This is the first death, a memory that has propagated itself throughout every diaprazulan nest, where it lies dormant, until pulled to the forefront of a pair's mind at the moment of bonding. Every new symbiote sees the empty hole left inside of that man, the intestines stuck to the drone's stylet, the dying sickness spreading through the tenuous link between bug and corpse. Some pairings still die from symbiosis wounds, some pairings still die from the psychic stress of first death. No one emerges from first death, Lyra recites. It is always two or none. Uh, you're not going to like what I have to say. Please. I killed it, Girard says. I remember waking up from the fever dream, bleeding, and I saw it seizing on the ground. It was disgusting. I was promised a super soldier. They're breeding drones with guns now, you know. So I saw it fucking spasming on the ground, and I thought it was the most pathetic thing I had ever seen. Who told it that it could kill me? So I took out my knife, and when the blade hit its neck, something snapped inside of me. Maybe it was my brain breaking in half, but it felt so good. "'I didn't even feel the blade go in.' "'The taste of bile rises in Lyra's throat. "'You're telling me you survived by killing him first? Girat's laughing. <laughs> "'No!' "'Shaking his head, Girat plunges a strange knife into the roast bird "'and twists until the keel cracks in half. "'I lived because I hated its guts.' Lyra stares distantly at their shared meal. Now in the library, Riverspine runs his antennae over the spines of dusty tomes, pauses, and chatters quietly as Lyra's presence brushes against the back of his mind. He looks happy. Why don't we get some air? Lyra suggests. He needs to get as far away from Riverspine as possible. A grin. I would love to. So Jurat stands and slips on a robe and pants. They were given to him by the maids, and they don't quite suit him. Lyra cracks the door because the color of the walls, a soft red, returns him suddenly to his childhood, and he wonders irrationally if his father might hear him abscond into the night with a strange man. But he's long dead, and the house is full of a silent dark. Girat walks too heavily. The ground yields to him at every step. I have to admit, Girat says as they step outside. You surprised me. How so? I thought you'd kick me out. He pauses. But maybe you'll keep me around. I wouldn't speak so soon. Girat laughs from his belly. They stop at the koi pond. The fish swarm toward Girat's shadow because the shadow of a human always prefaces the arrival of food. Would you like my knife? Girat offers it, handle out. It has a legacy now. That'll make it easier. The gesture makes Lyra's skin crawl, as if the decision has already been made, as if Girat said, sit, and Lyra knelt at his feet. Keep it, Lyra says. Girat shrugs, but he tucks the knife into Lyra's purse anyway. Lyra doesn't ask how he snuck it past the guards. While we're at it, Girard says, hands planted squarely on Lyra's ass. Take these off. Girard guides them to the ground. Water from the soil bubbles around their knees, their toes. Lyra digs himself deeper into the mud, fingers plunged between fibrous roots and mycorrhizae. He would let them swallow him if he could. But he's on his back now, and he thinks that being beneath Jurat is the same as being buried. He turns his head toward the pond. Behind the hazy reflection, orange scales flicker. Jurat knows where to kiss this time and where to put his teeth. The familiarity makes Lyra sick. So he puts his hands on either side of Girard's face and lifts him away. You're disgusting, Lyra says. His thumb leaves a trail of dirt from cheek to jaw, and he wonders how Girard doesn't smell the provincial hydrocarbons. Never wanted you to like me. I mean it. Sure, honey. Girard lifts his lip, the same chipped tooth leer, before he dips back down. "'How about this? I'll give you something to live for. "'Or even better, I won't be the one to kill you.' Lyra finds the koi again. "'To any other fish, the waves made by his braids would be a warning. "'But the koi nibble on the ends of his purple nylon hair, "'their fins breaching the water, "'unaware of the water striders at the pond's edge.' Girat's MRI comes in a few days later. The images, emailed to Lyra directly, include a note from the tech. Is it possible to see the patient's medical history, she asked. These are difficult to interpret without additional context. Although Girat's skull shows no previous breaks, it looks like his brain has been smashed in. The goop and scar tissue reformed, into something resembling a frontal cortex the patient is a poor historian lira writes in his reply no formal records exist in his line of work head trauma is remarkably common i would write this off as an occupational hazard ms raza would get a hold of the mri anyway and as soon as a week her scientific advisor would see lira's notes and refute them Maybe that will keep her from calling him back here. Lyra's cell beeps. It says, lunch on me. He's been getting nicer since Lyra started ignoring him. The attached image shows a wrought iron table overlooking the topiary garden. Girard accidentally got his hand in the shot. Lyra's cell beeps. It says, lunch on me. He's been getting nicer since Lyra started ignoring him. The attached image shows a wrought iron table overlooking the topiary garden. Girard accidentally got his hand in the shot. What rifles carved each callus into his palm? What blade painted each scar? The dirt wedged beneath his nails makes Lyra want to vomit. Lyra types, I am entirely obsessed with you. "'You are a crime against nature.' "'He stares at the message for a moment. "'He still can't send it. "'He shuts down his computer and heads back to his room. "'Riverspine is already there, napping. "'There are holes in the sheets where he must have rolled around "'until his chitin poked through. "'Already Jurat's scent has been replaced with his. "'Lyra sits on the edge of the bed.' which is hardly large enough for the both of them, and traces a finger down the edge of his carapace. He wonders why the Karen brachinids have eyelids when terrestrial wasps do not. Years of studying brachinid genetics, months consumed by PCR data analysis, hours spent in clinics, never prepared him for the question, how does River Spine look so peaceful when he sleeps? Lyra puts his hands on either side of River Spine's face, thumbs stroking the axillary spiracles between his eyes. A cluster of iridescent scales decorates his forehead. His antennae are curled and covered in a soft down. Lyra whispers, "'Show me the one where we met again.' River Spine stirs at the sound of his voice, lays his snout in the palm of Lyra's hand, and sighs, When was the last time River Spine's proboscis reached down Lyra's throat, covered in the honeyed memories of his hatching day? Show me the one where you found me in the bathtub, Lyra thinks, tracing the scales. Show me the one where you thought I was dead. But he can't say this one aloud. Lyra's cell vibrates. He's getting a call, but the flashing screen shows another notification. You know what? "'Girat sent this two hours ago. "'Fuck you.' "'Lira answers the phone. "'It is the Queen's scientific advisor, "'a graying earth woman. Lyra recognizes her accent "'before she even says her name, "'and he takes a moment to swallow his fear. "'There's no way she's seen the MRI yet. "'She hasn't. "'In her low drawl, she asks for an update on the case. Lyra apologizes.' and explains that the recording of his conversation with Jurat was corrupted when he tried to compress the file. Really, he'd deleted it yesterday. You're a coward, Jurat texts. A bitch. Unfortunately, Lyra continues, it seems that Jurat is nothing but a madman, a genetic fluke. Perhaps Ms. Raza should ask another scientist to investigate, maybe a sharper one, a younger one, for he fears that there is nothing else for him to discover here. As he listens to the advisor's reply, he checks his bags. His clothes are newly folded, rolled up military style. Both boxes are nestled beside the yellow and black of his robes. Frowning, he opens them and finds them both half full. The forager's dance is among the missing memory materials, Lyra wants very suddenly and painfully to go home. I think I might miss you, Jurat texts. Perhaps, perhaps Lyra clears his throat and tries not to stutter. He has been silent for too long. There has always been a rare exception when it comes to first deaths, but they simply don't have a sample size large enough in the province to observe it. He pauses as the bed frame creaks. The house is too small for a pair like them. Dr. Lyra? The old voice stutters. It's just we take too many precautions. Uh, barely anyone dies first deaths anymore. Uh, really, it's a good thing. After Lyra hangs up, the keyboard's voice chimes You lied. He jumps. He didn't realize Riverspine had woken up. When he turns, Riverspine's eyes reflect a dozen variations of his face. "'Because I love you,' Lyra says. "'You lied?' Lyra thinks he knows. Swallowing slowly, Lyra sits on the bed again. On a better day, his skin would stink of Riverspine, of the heady drops of venom that had fallen onto his wrist as a mark of their union.' and he would listen to the sleepy, happy buzzing in the back of their shared mind as if it were a song. "'If you could make me hate you,' Lyra says as he sinks against his companion, "'how would you do it?' Wings hugging his body. River Spine releases an inquiry pheromone. He shares an image of Girat's knife stuck in the bird, cradled in Lyra's purse." I would hand you the knife, Riverspine says, typing, and I would make you choose. It's in the contract. Girard
0: leaves tonight.
1: on Rachel Uncensored.
0: Welcome back. You've been listening to Stefan Rubnicki reading In the Nest Beneath the Mountain Tree, Your Sister's Dance, by Lowry Paletti. The narration was directed by Allison Bell Bewes. Lightspeed is published by Adamant Press, and this podcast is produced by Skyboat Media. This episode is copyright 2023 by Adamant Press. Lowry Pelletti is a Black author, artist, and veterinary student from New Jersey. They write a variety of fantasy, sci-fi, and horror fiction unified with their fascination with gore. When they aren't writing about monsters and the people who love them, they can be found wrist-deep in a formalin-fixed lab specimen. Their other pieces appear in Flash Fiction Online, Dark Matter Magazine, and Lamplight Magazine. You can find them at their website, l-o-w-r-y-p-o-l-e-t-t-i.wordpress.com. Stefan Rutnicki is a Grammy-winning audiobook producer and an award-winning narrator who has won several audio awards as well as more than 25 Earphones Awards and been named one of Audiophile's Golden Voices. Stefan has been producing Lightspeed Magazine podcasts since 2010, eventually adding Nightmare and Fantasy Magazine and sharing the Hugo Awards for Best Semi-Prozine in 2014 and 2015 post-production was by yours truly. Our music and sound logos were composed and performed by Jack Kincaid. Thanks for listening. That's all for now. See you on the Bitstream. I'm Jim Freund, wishing you cheers from all of us at Lightspeed.